Welcome to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations with Nina Impala. Do you have questions about death? How about events surrounding death? Or perhaps you have questions that need to be answered after death. On this program, we talk frankly and openly about the subject and invite you to share your comments and experiences as well. Now, here is your host, Nina Impala. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another live show of Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. I'm happy to have you here. We have today Holly Barker. And I met this lovely woman on LinkedIn one day, and she is the founder of Grief Anonymous in an online support group organization developed to support those who are grieving the loss of a loved one. Her husband of 14 years and the father of her son died in 2014 at the age of 41 after an eight-year battle with malignant melanoma skin cancer. Holly's mission is to see Grief Anonymous become a national support organization. She's an extremely spiritual woman who was led, conversations with God, feelings from angels, and guided to be who she is now through her husband's dying process. And I'm excited to have her here. So welcome, Holly. Thank you so much, Nina. It's very great to be on your show. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. Fantastic, because we've got a lot to talk about. So, <laughs> I know. So, I, I really want to start where that with a beautiful story. When I met you, um, you told me about this amazing, almost like an NDE experience that you had um, yes. while getting a massage. So, share that with our listeners, because it's a powerful story and a very big part of what you're, you're doing. Right. So it was back in uh, 2007, and my husband had just recently been diagnosed with uh, malignant melanoma skin cancer, and we were living in North Carolina at the time. It's my home state. And the thing that was going on with our family is we had multiple people of the same age range between 30 and 35 that were experiencing cancer and uh, we had young children at the time and our family was just it was tumultuous time for all of us we were living in a lot of fear and um, it was one of the lowest and saddest times of my life and Mm -hmm. my mother and my sister and I decided to take a trip for one day, a break from caregiving for one day. And we took a trip up to a beautiful like sanctuary hideaway um, uh, type place that had massage and facials and, you know, being out in nature and things that we were, we were treating ourselves for a day. So I found myself there in the midst of all the pain that everything that we were going through. And this lady came and got me. I'd had massages before, but this one was unique. She walked eat ceremonially style she put me up on the table and I was face up and she started with my head in like a circular motion I was like this is very interesting and um all of a sudden within just a couple of moments a huge warm palpable living light if nothing more than I can describe it from at this point back is what happened. It was like I was grabbing the sides of the table and there was a lot of energy to it, but it was a beautiful energy. And it was a light that I could look into that was very bright, but it didn't hurt. And the thing is, is at the time with everything I was going through, I thought, gosh, I must have, you know, stared into a, a light too long or I must be having an aura migraine. Right. Or 
something's happening to me. And so I kept like moving my head left and right. I couldn't um, really understand what was going on. And the light stayed in the same place. And I kind of did all these little, you know, scientific checks that I wasn't going crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. It was that. like, yeah, like a, it's like a the gate. There was like a gate, like a storm shelter door that like opened up out of my chest because I was in so much pain. And it's like my heart and my body, my soul. It was almost like connected with this light, and it, I was overcome with what now I truly believe and what I know now is what it feels like in heaven. Beautiful. Um, yeah. And it lasted literally for an entire hour, but I have very little experience memory of the entire experience other than two visions that I was left with. One of them, um, I was being, pat- I was, I, I could see life flashing through me, but it was all related to the people in my life, whether I loved them, whether I was having conflict with them, whatever. And I saw the ties and the binds to them and everything was just melted away and there was nothing but love for them. And then I flashed into my kitchen and all I saw was myself writing at my kitchen table and I could mm. see my hand. And I was just furiously writing and I just, the love I was feeling was writing through the pen on my hand. And um, that's all I remember. And, but I, I had tears coming out of my eyes, and I, but I remember the feeling of it, the experience of it. And after it happened, um, going back, my family has no recollection of me telling them about it that day. I did tell my husband, but he was going through so much with his cancer treatment that I didn't want to make it about me. And he was a private person. And so I kind of just tucked the experience back into the back of my, the recesses of my mind and focused on his healing, his, uh, the trauma that he was going through. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then basically what happened is it, um, it, uh, it kind of came to a culmination eight years later. Uh, I, you know, I just started feeling the need to write. And the reason being is he was re-diagnosed as terminal uh, with his melanoma skin cancer. And at that time, we had then moved to Canada. And um, I just, it just, the writing just started happening. And at the time, we started a, a, we started a page called, uh, with um, Caring Bridge, uh, because I knew that on his journey to death that I could not over and over again tell everybody the same thing and we had people from all over the world calling us asking us how we were doing what was up so I uh, started this caring bridge page and it would be a place where I could go one time a day to give everyone an update and whoever wanted to see it could go there so I highly recommend caringbridge.org. Yeah it's good I've heard and we did it um, with a couple of different patients it is very good and I highly recommend it as well. Absolutely. So it morphed from there. And um, what happened is the night that he passed away, um, he passed away in a hospice. And that whole day, spiritual experiences happened. But I think the thing that happened in relation to the experience that you're asking me about was he passed away at two o'clock in the morning at a hospice in Burlington, Ontario, Canada. And I was sitting there with him for about an hour and my phone dinged and I would never pick up my phone under those circumstances, but something told me I needed to pick it up. I thought maybe it was my son um, checking to see what had happened. And what happened is it was a message from notes from the universe 
And when I picked it up, it was mm. like a, an email that had automatically opened onto the screen of my phone. And all it said was, write it down, write it down. So write you're down. being very guided to write, which is your story. It really is. Yes. You know, I think that, you know, so many people that I've talked to that have had spiritual experiences like this, where it's, it's basically a shared experience or a near-death experience, but either way, you are on the other side and you're being shown. Yes. And because time is not a thing in, in that area or in that world or in the veil, time is just not a thing. And so this, these, like what you're telling me about your writing is, is that, and, and let me back up. What you remember is the love, the light, the writing, and the things that we're supposed to remember are the most important. Yes. But as human beings, we want to hold on to that whole thing. Like, what happened in that hour? You know, I've had some pretty prolific dreams myself, and I wake up, and I want to just really hold on to what that is and what happened. But we have what we need to know. And obviously, from what you're doing in your life right now, you were given so much beautiful information that over the last, what, how many years has it been now, Holly, since you started really writing after your husband's death? So we're. So the experience happened eight years before my husband's death, and it's been six years since his death in 2014. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that have what I've come to realize after all of this time and not being able to understand the original message is that the things that have happened have unfolded and the yeah. visions that I've seen since then Mm-hmm. may have been part of what I saw before. And it's just as, as, as things happen, it's sort of things coming to light from that experience is all that I can quite understand because now that I'm going back and looking for the first time at the writings that I wrote during that time, it's all reflective of today. And that's, I, I can't even believe it. It's, it's been a very interesting week going back into looking all this because <laughs> right now I'm going writing it <laughs> and here I am calling you up going hey you want to be on my show I know it's divine uh-huh. timing if I've ever seen it no doubt don't you think though with these kinds of experiences I think once you have them it, it's like a portal that's there yeah. for you and they keep shooting down information whenever you need it that's kind of the way I feel it happens in my life with different people that's- that come into my life it's like it's like a portal and the information comes through and it's like okay okay so Moving forward with all that in your writing, you have developed something that I just think is so beautiful. You know, I've been doing hospice a long time, and we know that everybody hears about the five stages of grief. What you have created, Holly, with these 10 tenants is just amazing. It really is. It opens doors. It creates safety. We're going to go through them. And I just think that it's a very important factor for people to have these these tenets that you have. And if you'd like, I'll, I'll read all 10 of them and then we could just kind of go through them a little bit because anybody that's grieving out there or you're taking care of a loved one, and I have a couple of people right now that are on that are, um, mm-hmm. the first tenet is to belief, a belief in higher power or consciousness. The second is find or create a sanctuary for healing. Three is focus on the physical fundamental of sleep, diet, and exercise. Um, four is practice baby steps and leaps of faith. Five is acceptance or coming to a place of acknowledgement of your loss. Facing your fears is six. Learning to forgive and what forgiveness really means is seven. 
finding a creative outlet for your grief is eight, embracing your new authentic self is nine, and giving back is 10. When I look at these, and when I've gone through them, and on your website, you go through them, they're you know written in just a few words, there's a whole paragraph, or you can actually listen to you talk about, which is fantastic, because as we know in grief, sometimes there's just a lot you can't handle. So, right. you've, you've broken it down really nicely. And the other thing that I like about it is how at the beginning, when you've worked on the beginning ones, they really help you in the later ones. Right. That would be a good way to describe <laughs> it. You see the flow. Absolutely. Yes, you do. And, and so, with that being said, let's go over a couple of these, because in the way that you developed it, right? So, because of your own grief journey, these were the things that you felt were so essential that were missing. If you, if I'm explaining that right, Holly, you want to go into a little you, deeper for me on that? I, I do. And so the thing that happened when Jordan first passed away is I was in the pharmaceutical industry for almost 16 years selling psychiatric medicine. Well, that's a big uh, deal. Yes. Just pause I'm, there for a moment, everybody. Yeah, that's a big deal. Right. Okay. I know grief wasn't discussed um, mm-hmm. because that would have been that proverbial fly on the wall and it's okay. It's not that it's a, it's, it, I think the timing is now um, to a degree, but my point is because I couldn't find the, um, uh, the type of grief support that I was looking for, we developed grief anonymous. I had a good friend of mine who was a recovering alcoholic who invited me to a program and for me to see it. And after all the study I'd, and research that I'd done looking for the right grief support, I went to this program and it was just absolutely drop, dropping, inspiring. And I knew that we could take a basic similar structure, take from it what what is of purpose to us and leave behind what is Alcoholics Anonymous for them. And we came up with this list and it wasn't done in a vacuum of my own mind, but it truly, I felt like a lot of this was given to me, just similar to how the the messages have come. Um, But it was also a direct reflection back to Mm -hmm. uh, the online support groups that I was seeing. And then we, I came up with these lists and then collectively within our organization, we fine tuned it. So it really has a lot of eyes from a lot of different angles on it. And um, you, you're talking about the flow, even though the, the tenants are non uh, sequential in nature um, because we want people to take from it what they need. So you can't just face your fears um, before this or before that is really something you can take as you need. But like you stated, the, f- the first three are about the body temple. They are about the divine self, taking mm-hmm. care of the body, uh, putting your oxygen mask on first, um, uh, uh, you know, knowing that the pain, the level of pain that you're in really takes a higher power consciousness to work through. So exactly what you stated, and then you work through the rest of it. And um, it, it, you know, it can bring you to enlightenment, it can bring you to self actualization, it can help you move through the pain, while you continue to honor your grief, which we truly believe is grief is love. So that's kind of the overarching theme and the importance of what we're trying to accomplish with the tenants. It's a, a, it's a way of bringing it with you open-ended so it can be defined within your own journey. And, you know, I want to make a, a point and we've got to go to break real quick, but, you know, I just, I can't get past the part where, and I know we talked about this earlier, like with AA, mm-hmm. you know, and going to one of those meetings. I had to go to one of those meetings quite a while ago and it was uh, for 
um, a husband and he was my ex-husband and he, I had to go and it was, it was made me sad. It made me tearful. But what I realized is the level of acceptance and safety where you could go into a room, say whatever you needed to say. There was no judgment. Nobody said, oh, my God, you know, you were laying on the street somewhere and people walked all over right. you and nobody cared about you. You could just say it and nobody would raise their eyebrows. or Everybody just be like, okay, welcome. Yes. I mean, talk about being compassionate and loving and being able to walk in that room and, you know, with, with mm-hmm. what you're doing, people could go in and say whatever they need to say, whether it is sorrow or shame or whatever that might be. So we're going to go deeper into these tenants when we get back from our break. So we'll be right back. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. If you have a question for Nina Impala or her guest today, call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to tutoringforthespirit at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. We are back with Holly Barker from Grief Anonymous, and we were talking about the 10 tenets that were created. And so, Holly, I really want to touch on a couple of the ones that I've noticed in my own practice. And we were, you and I were talking about at the break that, you know, finding or creating a sanctuary. And you brought up a really good point. You know, people go to church and they're closed right now. 
So what does it look like for somebody to create a sanctuary, like in their own home or whatever it may look like to somebody else? But give us some examples. Absolutely. So this is... Um, this has been very interesting with watching what's happened with um, people being cut off from their spiritual connections in their community and not being able to go to their churches and mm-hmm. their synagogues or their places of faith or worship. And um, what we have always talked about and what happened to me in the very beginning is an instinctive need to find a location to pray, to meditate, to cry, um, to release the feelings that I was going through. It was an instinctual need. And then you kind of amplify that out through humanity and you realize that everyone has that and that it comes in the form of, you know, churches, um, all, all of those kind of spiritual places. And so what we're saying is create an environment like that, whether it's in your home or in a local um, a park that you go to, a bridge or, a, you know, a wishing well, anything of that nature, and, and make it a place that you go to to connect with your higher power, connect mm. with um, make it a place where you're able to go and open yourself up emotionally and spiritually. I mean, crying is the body's physical ability to rid the negative toxins of the metabolites of, you know, of negative emotions. Yeah. And so you need that out of your body. We need to come back to the understanding of mourning and crying and allowing yourself to feel those emotions. And part of, you know, finding or creating a sanctuary is finding a safe place to do this. And when you do this, you create an environment around you that becomes a place of healing and peace. So it's like you, you know, you go in a room and it just feels peaceful for some reason. That's the kind of space and the kind of energy that you can create even in your own home to be able to work through your grief, be able to work through the events that are going on in your life and make the space a place of hibernation and not of isolation. Well, you bring up a really good point because you say it's a place that you walk into and you feel peace. For me, when my mom died, it was my yoga teacher. I just loved her. Her name was Lauren Duke and she was amazing. And yoga was the place that it was outside and there were plumeria trees everywhere. I was just beautiful was one thing that saved me and, and mm-hmm. going into one of the other tenants, we'll just get into the more physical aspect of it because being physical is kind of hard. You, uh, grieving makes you tired. It makes oh. you very, very tired. And so one of the physical, you put, said focus on the physical fundamentals of sleep, diet, and exercise. And yes. it's a little bit different for everybody. For me, sleep, it was that's when insomnia started for me. And then diet, who cares? My mom was the best cook in the world and lo- food was love. And so without it, I didn't eat. The one thing I did do was I went to a yoga class, but I know it really varies for most people, even just walking out the front door. Right. And having anxiety well, and fear, because that's one of them too, facing your fears. And I yeah. kind of think those two kind of go together. For me, they do, but maybe other people, they don't. They do. You know, um, with, with the focusing on the fundamentals of sleep, diet, and exercise, it's so, it can be seen as so cliche, cliche just to say that when you okay. apply grief and loss 
to sleep, diet, and exercise, just as you alluded to, it takes on a, an entirely different realm. It you know, um, the, the, one of the things in our grief group, support groups that we talk about is that first experience that loved ones take to the grocery store when oh, they can't yeah. buy baby food anymore because their infant uh, child has passed or right. you're not anymore because you don't know how to fire up a grill because your husband died. Um, there, mm, there is yeah. some uh, impact that food and breaking bread together, which is a fundamental connectivity process of human experience. It goes away when you lose that loved one, and you know it becomes different. And so, a lot of people can't eat, or they eat too much, they drink too much, they sleep too much. That's what you said. You sometimes you you know one of the hardest things for widows or widower after 50 years of sleeping next to somebody is to get used to the sleeping by yourself. Uh, people in our widow groups, they don't even sleep in their bedrooms anymore. They sleep on their recliners and their chairs and their dens because they are so in pain and they can't do it. And then when you start talking about exercise, when we, when we say exercise, it's not just about jumping up and running in your neighborhood 5K. This is about getting off the couch for the first time in three days and moving to the front of your home where you can look out a different window or you can go and go to the kitchen and make yourself a sandwich for the first time. That's, and that's your 5K. I love the yeah. way you put that in your <laughs> you and put that in your explanation. Yeah. You know, if that's yeah. your five k, getting up and making a sandwich and going to the kitchen, you need to pat yourself on the back for that. Absolutely. Don't you think that society, Holly, makes it kind of hard on people to grieve? There's like an expectation, and if someone hasn't lost their mother or lost a, a child, they there's they can't relate at all to why you can't. Do certain things. For me, going to Target, and I was telling this to my fiance now because his his daughters have lost their mom, and Mother's Day came up, and I was like, it's horrible to go out. If you've lost your mom at Mother's Day, it is everywhere. Yes. And I, I couldn't do it for almost a couple of years. I just can't. Nope. Yep. You know, my, my, my son and I were the same way for several years. Even now, you know, the thing is yeah. you think, we're going to go out and celebrate Father's Day. We're not going to let this beat us. And then we go out to a nice restaurant, my son and I do, and we're surrounded by families uh, celebrating dads. dads. Yep. And I don't think people quite understand the ramifications of what um, anniversary mm create um, around our experience. So that's why we try to explain to people as best we can that whether you're 10 years out, whether you're 20 years out, whether you're two months out, grief is different for everybody and it, and it just changes in ways. And you can't take away the pain of that loss at, after 20 years. If you're sitting at a table and you're experiencing something that you really wish that person was there to go through with, such right. as the, the birth of my first grandchild, my husband's not going to be there to experience that. So you can't tell me that down the road that I'm going to be over my grief. Yeah. That's, it, it, that's exactly right. It just, it, it changes, it changes over time, you know, and it's, for myself, I, I just, it's, losing my mom was one of the hardest things that ever happened to me in my entire life. I just, yep. yeah. And I still, there's days, you know, where I'll just, my eyes will just well up if I see a mom and daughter together, you know, it's just like, you know how lucky you are, you still have your mama. Triggers. You know? Triggers. Yeah. Triggers, yeah. exactly. Triggers. So, you know, there's, there's a level of what I try and teach people too, is that you have to have a level of compassion for yourself. Amen. 
I say that a lot. You know, you have to, it's, it, it starts in the beginning. It's, it's the, the whole concept of put your oxygen mask on first. Yeah. And so when I thought about what kind of parent I wanted to be, I thought in the beginning, I have to be a dad too. And then I failed at that because I'm not a dad. And so I recognized that I'm not going to understand football plays. I'm not going to understand hockey rules as well as I'd like to. I'm not going to get what it's like to be a 15-year-old uh, adolescent you know, boy. His dad's not there to explain that. So what I had to do is I had to focus on being the best mother that I could yeah. be. So there's this whole process of learning your new normal. Right. And, and, you know, and so many people over the years, I think that's one of the things that you, that is a tenet that there's no way that you can just take a day and figure it out. No, it that takes- is a learning process that can take a lifetime um, or it can take you years. It just depends on your personal experience. And um, that's important. So talking about, you know, tragic death, you know, people that have had kidnappings, murders. Mm-hmm suicides, accidents, car accidents, your husband leaves for work and he doesn't come home. That's like a, a, a whole nother level than working with somebody who has had a, you know, a terminal illness, right? It's just, there's a level of, I almost want to say with that, you know, we get, one of the tenants talks about forgiveness and um, what that really means. So forgiving what, there's two ways that I look at this, Holly, and you can help me with this. You know, with the terminal, a lot of times we, with terminal people that are on, have cancer and things like that, we want to save them. It went through my, my own mind, too, and my mom. It's like, what can I do? I can take her mm-hmm. to Brazil and go see John of God, and he can give her a miracle and heal her. You know, right. she didn't want to go to Brazil, you know, and it's like, what can I do to save her? And so, there, for me, that's where I had to learn to forgive myself for not being able to mm-hmm. save my mom. But then when you look at forgiveness, when you've got suicide or accidents or not having to be able to say the words in something that happened very quickly, did I say I love you before they went out the door? Did you give them a kiss? Did you give them a mm-hmm. hug? That kind of forgiveness is, is, is different because you're left with so much inside of you and then the person's just gone. Right. There's a lot of words that we could have chose along with forgiveness, but forgiveness is sort of an umbrella approach to the negative emotions that we can feel, whether it be regret, shame, blame, hate, anger, animosity, um, all of those things. And, you know, even though like we have, I'll tell you this, we have, um, groups like for child loss, we have groups for spouse loss, all the, the, the main spectrum of loss uh, of human connection. But then on the, on the next level, we also have loss due to suicide, to a violent act, and to um, overdose. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole new different vein of forgiveness that goes on that. And then you've got, like you said, the, the, um, the illness. Well, the thing that a lot of people don't recognize if you are dealing with a long-term, if you're a long-term caregiver, for example, you're dealing with dementia patient, a loved one who has dementia or someone who has, for example, even my husband who was very uremic and toxic from his cancer in his liver, the, the relationship dynamic that goes on in families in all different types of experiences, yeah, this is a good point. Is, here. is really where the the, the forgiveness comes mm-hmm. from. 
lift yourself out of the experience and look down onto people as humans and, and everybody's cup is overflowing and that overflow is hitting onto other people's cups and everybody's full so no one's able to take on other people's pain and grief and there's this level of expectation of help me and and so family dynamic can crumble um communities can crumble um the work dynamic can crumble all these things can happen after and before and during loss and so the forgiveness factor is huge amongst the grief, I mean, you can even amplify it out to war among nations that the reason why people can't drop and move forward and forgive is because their pain is still locked in the death and the demise and the suffering of their people. This is a really beautiful explanation you just gave, Holly. Thank you. Because it's it's very, very true. Um, and, I, and I think that, uh, you know, when you look at families, the breakdown that happens um, I even had a client this morning that I was talking to and um, what sisters thinks, what brothers thinks, you know, about where the person is at in their dying process. And me being who I have been in my life and doing what I've done, there were times when I know it's just, it's better to just do exactly what you just said, you know, because people's pain and their own fear and their own sorrow will not allow them to process maybe the way this person does or that person does. So then I come up with the word compassion again because I just sometimes, you know, you just have to keep your mouth closed and allow the other people to be on their journey because we know that grieving is so unique. I read something one day that it said grief is as unique as a fingerprint. Yes, it's true. It is, you know, and I think that if People can remember that, you know, when they're going through this process, it helps so much in the, in the grief process. So while the person's still alive, if you've, if you know, if, you, if that happens to you, I, uh, over yesterday, and this is a really interesting little thing that happened and people, you know, a lot of times will ask me for my card or ask me what you do for a living. I'm sure you get the same thing. And mm-hmm. I was telling her that I was a grief counselor and she said something like, bless your heart. It took me nine years to finally talk to somebody after my mom died. Yep. And I was just ordering something. <laughs> and I just wanted to take her by the hand and sit her down and talk to her about it. Because it was curious to me that it took mm-hmm. so long. And the difference between the way men grieve and women grieve is also very different. I want to touch on that just a little bit. Okay. Um, let's see. We've got four minutes to break. Okay. So... With, do you find that more men come into your groups than women? It's a very interesting dynamic. Um, and we have, uh, we're right at our four-year mark. And basically what happened in the beginning is back in 2016, we were looking for a local place in Charlotte to put the program together. And what happened is I did a talk and a lady named Rita Calberry came out of the crowd and said, I just lost my brother in a freak um, ambulance accident in Canada. And um, I'd love... Uh, to help you. And so we started the online group just to get some ideas while we were looking for local. And within six months, we had 4 million people on our page and we were adding thousands of people every month to our groups. And my point to say this to you is online, we have probably from, uh, we're on Facebook, we have, it's probably, I'd say a good 80% or more women. Mm -hmm. However, 
uh, when I started the local program at my restaurant on Route 66 in Wilmington, Illinois, what I'm finding is we have quite a few men that come to the local group. So we'll have, you know, sometimes we'll have 20 people that come in and I'd say it's about a split of 50-50 men and women. Mm. And it's very unique to see the difference in the dynamic. And I'm still trying to figure out exactly why it does that way. But the men that come, a lot of them are very loyal to the group in terms of needing it. And, um, and, 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 um, in the online world, I'm not real sure. I, th- I probably see that oh, there's a lot of men that see the work, but women mm-hmm. are more to respond and mm-hmm. communicate. So yeah. they're less, men are less communicative online is what I can say. Local, yeah. not so it's the same. Well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go to another break, and, um, and then we'll be right back. We're going to talk more about this, and we're also going to talk about how people can attend and how they can get involved with Grief Anonymous. We'll be right okay. back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's Difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. If you have a question for Nina Impala or her guest today, call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to tutoringforthespirit at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. We're back with Holly Barker and Grief Anonymous. So we were talking about grieving and the way people are grieving, and you were talking about online. One thing I just wanted to add to that, Holly, is one of the things that I've realized in my own work is men normally grieve through action. It's going to the gym, planting a garden, working on a car, 
That's kind yes. of what I've noticed. They need to get more active where women can sit and talk about it and cry. Sometimes it's a lot harder for men. So I'm really happy to see that you are getting an online involvement from them. Absolutely. That's really, that's really great. It really is. You know, and one other thing I want to touch on before we get to um, people attending or facilitating is the new authentic self, finding that person and mm-hmm. what that looks like and how long it takes to kind of find that person. You know, I think when, when you are grieving and you're, you're, you know, depending on the death and everything that's happened is you go to groups and talk to people, get therapy and all these different things. But that whole different time, that whole time while you're doing all these tenants, which are so incredible, please go to her website and, and, when I'm reading them, that whole journey in those 10 tenets is about finding your new authentic self. And it can take a very long time. I know right. it did for me. You know, the thing that I have to say about that, that one thing that I've, the main thing that I've learned is that life is a journey. And so if you are just going about trying to figure yourself out after this loss, and you yeah. think that you're going to come to this point uh-huh. In, in time and have this one experience ongoing, that is a fallacy. What this is really about is the exploration of self and the yeah. enjoyment of it. And what is the tenet above it is finding a creative outlet for your grief. So while you are exploring things that are of enjoyment to you in your life, you are going to find things and gravitate towards things that are authentically you and in a positive light. That's the whole point to this whole self. A lot of people are talking, we talk all the time about new normals. Right. Does, uh, the, new, uh, the world is going through a new normal right now. The world is going through, you know, a, a, a transformation. And we have, we, we have an opportunity. Right now, we're in the midst of opportunity. That's how I see what's happening with this COVID situation with the pandemic. We have, a, we have an opportunity to redefine where we're headed. And a lot of our writings and a lot of what we're doing is self-actualization, but also, you know, it's self-actualization for humanity so to speak. And, you know, it starts with the individual, like with Mother Teresa, you know, if you want to change the world, you have to, you know, just look to help the person next to you. Yep. And your own community. Agree. Yeah. And that's really, and using that energy with the intent of doing positive good, giving back is one of the most selfless um, healing Mm -hmm. tools. And it's the most powerful personal healing tool. And I think that's one of the reasons why men, like you said, they're doing when they're in a group and they are sharing their soul and they are getting that response back. Mm. And they're active and they're doing things in their community. It is the most helpful way to move through this process because you find out a lot of stuff about yourself in a positive light yes. on the way. And let me make this point. So when you're talking about the creativity, I'm really glad you brought that up, mm-hmm. shared or not. It's you say to use this tenant like a safety valve, which I love because mm-hmm. it's 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 a way to kind of um, it's kind of like a little map. It's you said use it when you, when you are as a marker, so you you kind of see where you were, where where you where you've been, where you are now, and where you're going. So yep. if you break it up like that, like if I look at my life, you know. 
a year ago or two years ago and go, wow, I was there. But now I'm here. And where am I going from here? It keeps it in a really positive light. It does, but it, and it's also self-corrective in a way too, because you know it's create uh, doing some type something tangible. So it can be anything. It could be scrapbooking. It could be photography. It could be anything that you do to bring mm-hmm. yourself peace, joy, and connection. And when you say you your life heads in a different direction, where you presented some tremendous challenges, and you can use that tangible piece of creativity mm-hmm. that was born from your grief say two years ago to get use it to get back on track too yeah I love that I do I just love it so you know let's say I go to your website how do people start it up how do they attend how do they get going how do they get moving right so the the number one thing to do in terms of entering into our online grief support groups is having a Facebook account okay. uh, that's one. You can um, Google us uh, as Grief Anonymous. You can uh, use the search bar engine, uh, you know, tool inside of grief, uh, uh, inside of Facebook to look for Grief Anonymous as well. And we have one main page. It has um, about seventy thousand very active followers. We have about um, anywhere from five hundred to a million people that are seeing those posts on the page. And then if you go over to the groups tab within our main page, there's a drop down list of about uh, over twenty groups to choose from. And we have mm-hmm. about forty five. I think we have about forty five thousand, maybe fifty thousand members. In these individual groups, we have clubs, gardening clubs, we have wellness clubs, we have spirituality clubs, we have all of the main connectors, a human connection, loss of child, loss of spouse, um, loss mm. of parent, even loss of grandparent. And then we have the incidents such as loss due to suicide, loss due to um, a violent act, and loss due to overdose. Uh, those and, and, and we see very, very interesting characteristics come through each of these groups. All of the main ones have anywhere from five to 10,000 members in them. And so we, we, we see a big picture come through on, you know, a lot of characteristics for different losses. And it's helped us to kind of navigate our, our response and, and where we know and where we see the needs are. So it's, it's been a beautiful experience growing this over the last four years. We're not in competition. We, uh, we don't set goals as to how many members we want to have. We mm-hmm. let this grow organically as it's supposed to grow. We're all overwhelmed with what we're doing. Um, and we're all just doing our best. We have about seven executive administrators all have experienced profound loss including murder, including uh, uh, suicide. Um, so there's, you know, we've, we've all been through some very traumatic events. And that's another part of the anonymous program is we truly believe that the people that, that have leadership roles within our organization have been through that experience, plus have a servant's heart to lead. And, um, and, Such an and important part of it, Holly, you know, when it, people have a servant's heart, I truly believe that I'm that way, you know, we're not making the millions because no. our hearts don't know don't know how to do that. <laughs> we're just about you know what we're supposed to do while we're here and helping people. Our volunteers have put in thousands of hour, hours, and they and and there's ownership to this. I mean, em- emotional spiritual ownership. This is not about them doing work for me. No one enters this into into our program wanting to please any higher ups or any of that hierarchy thing that happens in corporate 
companies and or organizations. This is truly you come in, you become, it becomes a part of your experience and you want to give back and you're getting out of it what you're putting into it. And um, our, uh, my administrators have been with me since the very first couple of months and they've grown their groups the, and I trust them because I haven't lost a child. So I know Melanie Dean Scoggins is running her group because she's lost her her son to a violent act. She found her husband, her, her son murdered in her kitchen and uh, they haven't solved the crime yet. And uh, she was a nurse in a uh, children's juvenile detention center where she saw mil- uh, just tons of children that were in there who had lost a parent. So that's another one of our endeavors that we understand. We have a lot of healthcare providers that are uh, leading our groups. And, uh, I, you know, we, we see the village concept, too. We know that this isn't an all-for-one encapsulating road to healing. We believe that the medical community, the spiritual community, our churches, um, organizations out there, we want to partner with them and work towards the, the holistic healing that grieving people need. Grief for support is one part. Wow. You should, I mean, there's... Right now, as we know, there's a lot of people that are dying alone, which is heartbreaking to me. I can't even imagine mm-hmm. having my husband or my son go into the hospital and they're very sick and I can't be there. I just, I can't even imagine that. I don't know how I would do that, honestly. You know, so it's, there's got to be support for those people. I almost feel like starting a support group for people that have lost loved ones to COVID, period. You know, we have one. We have one. So if you want to help us administrate it, I would, would love for you to be there. <laughs> okay. We will talk about that after the show <laughs> because that's, that to me has been, you know, I can't even imagine not being able to say goodbye or not being there when my mom was so sick and she needed me, you know, I just, I, I can't imagine that. And we had a couple of family members, well, several actually that were in and out of the hospital quite a bit. And I, I just, I would have, I would have not been a nice person, <laughs> you know, right. if if that was my wife or my husband and, and they wouldn't let me in. I just, I don't know how I would handle that, you know, and I'm sure that a lot of the healthcare workers have gotten a lot for that because when you truly love somebody, the last thing you want them to do is die alone. It's like, it's huge. So. It is. And, you know, I think there's a I see hospitals as the, the way that we see hospitals in the future. Um, the, the hospital concept needs, the death and dying needs to be espoused at the hospital level too. It's not just a place of um, saving lives, but it also is a place that everyone dies, you know, and um, there needs to be more discussion about death, more discussion about what it is to, you know, just the spiritual connection to this process and yeah. hospital. I feel very connected to hospitals. I, I think that if I, if down the road, if there's a, you know, we get the vaccine, if I feel like I can get into that environment, it's an environment that I understand well being my background with pharmaceuticals and with psychiatric medicine. And we are going to be um, raising money for grief studies. And I feel very very much want, like I really want to connect with the academic institutions, the spiritual institutions and the medical institutions, because I think that there's a powerful, powerful paradigm that links grief, as everybody knows, to physical disease, um, uh, poverty, homelessness, mm-hmm. uh, 
Mm-hmm. All of these grief is a root cause for a lot of these problems and it's not being discussed. And if we, if we came at it in a different direction and helping the myriad of symptoms and things that happens to people during loss that we would actually be able to not just pull people out of the river, but go up the river and uh, learn why people are falling in and, and prevent that. I think that was a, um, a quote by Gandhi or somebody. I don't want to, Oh, it's a beautiful it analogy. I really like it, that. That's what that's. I think if you would look at the core mission of what we're doing, we're trying to help people to stop falling in the river and okay. recover sooner, and okay. um, you know, help lessen the pain. We're not going to lessen their grief, but help them get through the pain and the separation of loss. Beautiful. And on, so living. good, Holly. Tell us how people can, you know, do you want them to go to your website? It's griefanonymous.com. Yes. So go to griefanonymous.com or you can go to the www.griefresourcenetwork. We are going to be redesigning this website to a degree, but we have listed in the library all of our links to all of our groups, or you can just go straight to Facebook, okay. uh, type in Grief Anonymous and find us that way as well. Holly, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been an amazing conversation, and uh, I think you're doing great work, and I will be sending people over to your website, and uh, I've got some ideas, so we'll have some talks. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you so much, Nina. I hope you have a blessed day. Thank you. You too. Take good care. Thank you. So that was another quick very quick show today. It goes by so quickly, and I'm really hoping that it helps a lot of people. There's a lot going on right now, and grief is a subject that needs to be talked about even more. And uh, what Holly's doing at Grief Anonymous is pretty amazing and beautiful. So I really want to thank everybody for listening. I hope that you had a really good week. And I want to say that uh, one of the tenets that we talked about today about your creativity I think in these times, it's really helpful if you find some kind of creative outlet to let off a little steam as you're wondering what your next step is, as you're wondering where you are now and where you're going to be. So I am doing the same, and I'm loving this radio show. It's my creative outlet. So thank you all for listening. Take care of yourselves. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. We hope you have found hope in this week's edition of Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. Please join your host, Nina Impala, for another program next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again soon.